You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. Drought has returned to California once again, and residents up and down the state are now trying to come to terms with what this new, drier normal is going to mean. Hoping to find some answers as well, all this past week, KCBS reporters have been presenting a special series examining the state's water crisis from a number of different angles. So far, we've heard about the vast landscapes that have been reshaped. A huge die-off of bay, pine, eucalyptus, and black acacia trees. And we've heard about the lives that have been upended. What's been the hardest part about not having well water? Trying to fill up toilets with water jugs. I'm Keith Menconi, and today on KCBS In-Depth, we're going to put all the pieces together and consider what's in store next for our dry California. We have to change our ways and do some investment to make it happen. First up, to get a sense of just how quickly this drought is progressing, we're going to check in with KCBS reporter Kathy Novak, who actually had the chance to get a bird's eye view of how this dry spring is impacting Sonoma County. Uh, Kathy, welcome to the program. Where'd you go and what did you see while you were up there? Okay, so I went on an aerial tour with the nonprofit EcoFlight. Pedal over traffic, We flew over an area of Sonoma County that had experienced a series of wildfires from 2017 through last summer, including, as you'll recall, the massive LNU complex and the glass fire. Kind of flying toward the edge of the footprint now. So from above, what you see is giant patches of burnt woodlands. And it's also clear to anyone, you really don't have to be an expert, it's dry. The, the grass is pretty dry for mid-May. The grass is almost completely cured. And the fire ecologist that we went up with, Sasha Berlman, said it's drier earlier. I'd say like that's about two weeks ahead of schedule for this area. And I think even if you're talking just a couple of weeks ahead of schedule in terms of drying out, that all adds up when we're talking about drought and it's not a good sign. We're in mm. the second year of this drought now and overall the water depletion around the state has progressed to the same level that we saw in year three of the last drought. So this one's moving even faster. Mm, so uh, a lot of yellow on that landscape, and as you mentioned, uh, a lot of burn area as well, and uh, really just a reminder of where these dry months, this uh, dry summer that is ahead of us could tragically lead. And what we're unfortunately maybe already in, Keith, right? I mean, California, we talk about drought, we talk about wildfire, and Sasha Broman, the fire ecologist I went up in that plane with, was saying that she thinks it's entirely likely that even in this area where we were seeing these huge regions of burnt out woodlands. Even there, we could be in for yet another bad wildfire season. And it's not just these skeletons of trees that you see over the hills everywhere there. The other thing that we flew over was the areas that didn't burn. And that's where a lot of trees are still alive and susceptible to wildfire and also to drought. Here's a little of how Sasha Berlman explained that. 
Absolutely. Drought is also worsening our fire seasons um, as another piece of this. And where we're not, where we haven't been doing successful stewardship for 100 years, we have way too many trees competing for very limited water as a resource. And Keith, another reason that this area is of great concern is because it's fed by the Russian River watershed, which unlike some other bodies of water around the state, relies heavily on precipitation. So when we're talking about drought and low rainfall, that's a major concern here too. All right. Well, a lot to look out for and uh, a, a bracing image of the, the, the landscape that we're going to have to be worrying about in the months ahead. Uh, that has been KCBS reporter Kathy Novak. Kathy, thank you. You're welcome. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Continuing our look at the state's water crisis now, we're going to consider next what California can do to meet this challenge. For that conversation, we're welcoming on first climate scientist Peter Glick, who is a co-founder of the Pacific Institute. That's an Oakland-based think tank focused on water challenges. Uh, Peter Glick, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thank you for having me on. Welcoming on as well, Felicia Marcus, the former chair of California's State Water Resources Control Board. Currently, she's a visiting fellow at Stanford University's Water in the West program. Felicia Marcus, welcome to you as well. Thanks. So starting off with you, Peter, we just heard a moment ago in the program how severe the drought is and how quickly, really, it's drying out the state. Um, We should mention also that uh, earlier this month, the governor extended emergency drought orders to more than 40 counties throughout the state. So uh, that Sacramento response progressing as well. Uh, Peter, how does this current crisis compare to what we were seeing a couple of years back in the last drought? Yes, we're absolutely in a severe drought. I mean, if you look at the West as a whole, I think more than 96% of the entire Western U.S. is in severe drought. Uh, More than half of the West is in extraordinarily severe drought. And it is progressing very rapidly. You know, we, uh, we have a water year that runs from October until April, and then our dry season starts. Um, As of April, we had about a third of the normal precipitation we expect. We had about a third of normal snowpack in the mountains. And frankly, in the few weeks since the beginning of April, that snow itself has disappeared. And we have almost no snow in the mountains now, which is extraordinarily unusual. And it's not just dry, but it's, it's very hot. So we're in the second year of a severe drought. You know, we had a five year intense drought from 2011 to 2015. Uh, And I would argue that the current drought is beginning to look as bad as the worst of that five-year drought uh, was. Uh, Let's hear next from Felicia Marcus. Uh, Again, you headed California's State Water Resources Control Board up until the start of the Newsom administration, so uh, until early 2019. Uh, You've had a chance to see this crisis from both the inside and the outside of state government. Uh, So curious, in your view, have we made any progress since the last drought ended? Are, Are we more prepared this time? Well, the short answer is yes, because we've been through this before and we were able to implement um, data gathering and other things that we didn't before. We were able to establish a a way to get to poor communities who were running out of water because their wells run dry, um, et cetera. We were able to unleash a revolution in recycled water in urban California through doing streamlined regs and putting out over a billion and a half dollars. And probably most importantly, uh, because of the mandatory conservation regulations that we imposed not, that were fairly controversial with water agencies at the time, the public stepped up incredibly well um, and figured out how to change out their lawns if they could afford to uh, use less water. 
uh, and exercise their conservation uh, muscles. So we're in better shape, but we're not anywhere near in as good a shape as we ought to be, in particular in terms of figuring out how to manage for our precious ecosystem needs that are part of all of our heritage. That's where um, it's, it seems to always fall short. Uh, and we need to do a lot more on drinking water for poor communities and uh, urban efficiency, ag efficiency. We have a long way to go to figure out how to prepare ourselves for this as a far more regular occurrence, you know, welcome to the future, but at least we got off the diamond and got a good start, but we're not anywhere near where we're going to need to be to deal with what climate change is throwing at us. All right. Well, let's get into some more of those issues in terms of uh, what we should be doing uh, in just a little bit. But uh, just picking up on that thought a second ago, welcome to the future, the new normal. Peter Glick, is this a new normal? I mean, uh, it seems like it's been so few years since the last drought. It's it's almost like that was just a, a brief little interlude for one long drought. It, it, should we be thinking of California as an increasingly dry state going forward? Well, the short answer to that is yes. I, I'm mm. not a big fan of the idea of calling this the new normal. It's the new abnormal in some ways. Mm. If we call it the new normal, we think, well, that's just that's just the way it's going to be. No, no big deal. It's not normal. That, the important point here is this is not normal. What we're seeing is more intense, more severe, more long-lasting extreme events on both ends. You know, California's always had wet and dry years. The, the world always gets wet and dry periods. That's what droughts and floods are. But we're seeing more extremes now. And what we're seeing is the impacts of human-caused climate change. You know, 2011 to 2015 was the worst five-year drought on record. 2017 was the wettest year on record. And now we're in another two-year drought. The Colorado River Basin has been in drought for 20 years now. And people are talking about this as a mega drought. That's not normal. And so the way to think about this is conditions have changed and we can't do things today the way we did them in the past. We have to start planning for and doing things differently. And so bottom line, does that mean living in a state where we plan to use less water than we have been using? What does that mean? What do we have to give up to get there? Well, yes. I mean, the, tr the truth is, even without climate change, mm -hmm. we've never had as much water as we want to do all the things that everybody wants to do. We've always been water short. And so Californians have always had to deal with drought. And as Felicia mentioned, we learn lessons from each past drought. In 76 and 77, we had a bad two-year drought. And that's when we started thinking about all right, maybe we ought to be, be developing low flow appliances and better washing machines and toilets and dishwashers and shower heads. And then we had another severe drought in the 80s and we thought about, well, maybe we ought to think about how we manage our forests. And again, as Felicia mentioned, the last drought, we actually got sustainable groundwater law, which we mm -hmm. haven't fully implemented yet. So we're moving forward, we're learning and doing new things. But there's still a tremendous amount that we need to be doing to live in this new permanently water short condition that we're in. Yeah, yeah. Still uh, finding the words for all of that. Um, Felicia Marcus, so we just mentioned uh, the new groundwater laws. Those are going to set regulations for how much water various communities uh, can take out of the ground, because obviously we've been pumping far too much out uh, in, in uh, many areas. Uh, but those are going to take a few years to take full effect, and uh, we're still not quite there yet. So what does it mean uh, heading into this drought where we're going to need more water, we're going to be relying on that groundwater more, uh, knowing that we're still not on a 
sustainable path uh, quite yet. Uh, how how can we balance the, the the need to get through this drought uh, with also the need of uh, managing those water tables, um, you know, uh, responsibly? Well, it's all about efficiency. I mean, I think the Groundwater Act is uh, fairly innovative. It'll take a little while, but it's a huge lift uh, since our, particularly in the Central Valley, we've been overdrafting our groundwater basins by 2 million acre feet a year. So you don't go from that to zero without massive social and economic uh, dislocation. The point here is to learn how within our means or in terms of what nature provides. And it's a combination of uh, restricting what people can pull out, but also intentionally getting more in in those wet years that we're going to be very lucky to have so long as that you don't have the death, destruction, and mayhem that flooding can cause. We're a lot luckier than a lot of other places in the world where it's just going to get drier. We're going to get dry, dry, more dry, punctuated by really wet that's going to come really fast. Mm. And we need to figure out how to capture it and get it in the ground into those groundwater basins. Um, which are the only thing that can compensate for the snowpack we're going to lose with a few degrees of temperature rise. So it's a massive systemic change that each community is going to have to learn to live within their means. In the short run, I actually am slightly more uh, optimistic than Peter, perhaps, maybe not, that maybe it's the wrong way to put it. I think we're very inefficient with how we use water, even though we're more efficient than probably almost anywhere else in the country, certainly not the world, but the um, in that in, in urban California, we've got all kinds of low-hanging fruit, lawns being the key one where over 50% of our water use in urban California is outdoor ornamental landscape. And a huge chunk of that is our lawns. So there's a lot we can do there. And the other is leaks. It's not just all about shorter showers, which are important, or getting a low flow toilet. It's about leaks checking to make sure your toilet's not running by doing the, the food color test and being able to check the lines uh, within our systems. And regs on that are coming as well. We lose 10%, 20%, 30%, up to 60% of our uh, urban water use uh, due to leaks. So there's a, huge, there's a huge place to save there. And in agriculture, we're going to have to live within our means. I mean, ag is great, but it's kind of too much of a good thing these days. And it ends up being, you know, yeah, growing stuff is cool and it's good, but we're growing more than the system can bear in terms of either our groundwater basins or um, fights over whether we leave, you know, more than 10% of a river flowing for the ecosystem that needs it desperately. And uh, we're, we're just a little out of whack in that, that it, but we have to change our ways and do some yeah. investment to make it happen. Yeah. All right. Going to pick up on a couple of those ideas, uh, but real quick, want to reintroduce you both. Uh, you are listening to KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. All this past week, KCBS is bringing you reports on California's water crisis. Today, we continue that coverage uh, right now with a deeper look at just how the state might be able to adapt to this new, drier normal. Joining us for this part of the conversation, we're speaking with climate scientist Peter Glick, a co-founder of the Pacific Institute based out of Oakland. Also also joined by Felicia Marcus, who we just heard from there, former chair of California's State Water Resources Control Board. And uh, turning things back over to you, Peter Glick. So we just heard a little bit about how we are using more water than California can really sustain. What are the consequences for that overdrawing for the rivers and the water tables? What's what's happening to California because we're using too much? Well, we know that the bad things include 
uh, overpumping of groundwater. Felicia talked about that. There's a massive overdraft of groundwater in the Central Valley because we just we have too much farmland under production and the water use is inefficient, as Felicia mentioned. And so we have land subsidence in the Central Valley. That's damaging infrastructure, but it's also drying up wells for municipal communities and disadvantaged communities in the Central Valley. And there are hundreds of thousands of people in the Central Valley that don't have reliable, it's sort of astounding to think about this, but that don't have reliable access to safe water and sanitation in one of the richest states in, in the nation and one of the richest places in the world. Um, but, but that's an important point. For many people, the reality of water shortage is, is already here. It's not hypothetical. Yes, that, that's exactly right. But the other important point here is that really some of the worst impacts of droughts in California fall on our natural ecosystems. Already our natural ecosystems are stressed. Our fisheries are, are endangered. Our forests and soils are drying up. And during a drought, mm. those impacts get worse. In 2014 and 2015, we lost 95% of the winter run Chinook salmon because of high temperatures in the Sacramento River. And that's probably gonna happen again this year because we've given away too much water and what's left is too hot for them to survive. We have hundreds of thousands of dead trees in the Sierra Nevada from past droughts, and that contributes to wildfires. And it's going to be probably another very bad wildfire year because of the drought. But but I'm actually an optimist. I actually believe <laughs> that we do have turn this around to this. The Pacific Institute has done a lot of work over the years in quantifying mm. the potential to do more with the water we already have, to cut urban water use, and as Felicia said, gets rid of our outdoor lawns and replace them with efficient gardens and efficient washing machines and dishwashers and toilets. We know that our farmers can grow more food with less water, with better irrigation systems. We know that we can use wastewater that we currently treat to a high standard, but throw away for all sorts of purposes and collect more storm water when it's wet for use in dry periods. The solutions are out there and Californians do the right thing when we're told to do the right thing. But already this year, the politicians and policymakers are a little behind the curve, I would argue, in raising awareness about how severe this drought is and what we can do to address it. Uh, we've, we've been a little slow to get off the mark this year. Mm, yeah, and uh, especially important given how fast uh, that mark is moving. Um, Felicia Marcus, uh, we, we, we have heard, you know, the governor has a bit of a tax windfall that he's able to spend this year. And uh, about f a little bit more than five billion of that is going to fund water infrastructure and conservation projects. And, uh, you know, if, uh, Peter Glick was saying there are steps that we can take to, to make our water usage more efficient uh, based on what you're seeing that money gets spent on. Is uh, Are we spending it on the sorts of things that uh, we need to move in that direction? Well, the, the buckets you can see in the budget so far look just fine. The question is scale and how it's implemented and delivered. Mm, and just to make this a little bit more concrete, what are the top priorities that you would say are, you know, the projects that need to be put at the, the highest on the list for uh, where, what we should start first? Well, I, and Peter touched on this, I think uh, we have to absolutely prioritize disadvantaged communities, number one, and make good on the human right to water legislation that was passed a decade ago in terms of making California the first state in the nation to declare it and then to be the first state in the nation to actually do it. Um, and uh, we're in process. We've certainly done a lot of things through the last round, got a lot of legislation authority and and money, but we have to implement. And that's all in process now, but I, we got to focus on that first, first things first. The next is we got to get real, as opposed to combat science, we got to get real about leaving enough water 
in our river system so that they can survive. Uh, we were living in a dream world about it. And, uh, you know, all of these large dams were put up with the law, you know, 5937 of Fish and Game Code, you can put it up, but you got to keep fish in good condition below the dam. And that just hasn't happened. And uh, every time you have uh, the water board in particular, just what I'm closest to, trying to exercise our public trust authorities, our water code authorities, uh, you know, et cetera, it ends up being, um, you know, a, an enormous fight, but we've got to do it or we're going to be the generation that lets salmon go extinct, you know, and if, and for people that, I think if people understood that we've, we've pulled out sometimes 80 and 90% of a whole river at critical times, they'd be horrified that we haven't been able to uh, to do it. And we have to do it. We just have to do it. Yeah. And uh, Peter Glick, uh, closing thoughts from you. So you uh, gave us a note of optimism a little bit earlier. Maybe uh, show us the other side of, of that equation. You know, if obviously water rights and fights over water have been a part of the uh, California story since uh, the state was uh, first founded. And uh, it's you know tough to see that that's going to stop anytime soon. If we can't make some of these changes that you both are calling for, what does that look like five, 10 years down the road? What, is, what does a drier California without these changes begin to look like? Well, I am an optimist. Some people think an optimist is just a badly informed pessimist. <laughs> uh, but uh, I do think we know what we need to do, and I do think we can do it. If we fail to do it, what we're going to see as the climate continues to change, as temperatures go up, as snow continues to disappear, is continued dying ecosystems. We're going to lose salmon species. They're going to go extinct. We're going to lose more wetlands and more of the Pacific flyway that support migrating birds. We're going to see worse impacts on disadvantaged communities that don't have access to safe water right now. We're going to see dislocations in the ag community. We can manage, you know, California is a fantastic place to grow food and we're gonna to continue to have a healthy agricultural economy. But if we're not thoughtful about it, we're gonna see bad impacts on agriculture. If we're thoughtful about it, if we can manage the restoration of our groundwater, that's a good thing. But if we don't do it properly, farms are gonna, are gonna go under, small family farms are gonna be hurt. Um, we're going to see bad impacts on agriculture. So the, the trick is to do the things we know work, to do them faster, to make the right investments, to prepare us, not just for the shortages that California has experienced in the past, but the ones that are coming in the future. Yeah. And Felicia Marcus, uh, just about a minute left. Um, if you could, we've been talking about the changes that we need to see on on, on larger scales, statewide scales, uh, community scales. What should individual water users be thinking about now as we head into these drier months? How can we all take a little bit more responsibility for the water that we're using? Well, a, a few things. One is lawns and leaks, mm -hmm. as I said. Yeah. You know, you do the food color in your toilet tank, you wait overnight. You, if there's the colors in the bowl, just go buy a new flapper. That's usually what it is. And even I can change that. Um, you know, and there's more you can do in, in, in that scene and, you know, ditch the lawn unless you love it. And if you love it, let it go Brown. I mean, during the summer, I mean, it's not, it's not that hard to do. water your trees. I always say water your trees, wash your hands and drink all you want. But, but I think there's also a need for the public to step up and own the bigger picture, make their voice heard in their local government, state government. I mean, I think people need to call for saying they care about ecosystems and fish. They care about salmon. I mean, salmon's orca food. I mean, if you're not a fish person, you know, there's, there's just, I think there needs to be greater political will and awareness 
to say, hey, we actually want you to fix a problem versus just squabbling and fighting the same old fights. And, and, and uh, there should be a call to figuring out how to actually have a water rights system that can be implemented and work that's fair uh, and treats the environment and uh, small communities and others fairly. That's a big lift, but there, and we started doing some things in the quantification and the uh, information arena uh, in the, and using our public trust responsibilities during the last drought. Um, and it was seen as radical, but it was a drop in the bucket compared to what we really need to do. And we don't have to do it in a way that harms anyone, but we need to move. All right. Well, quite a few calls to actions that we heard right there. But uh, with things changing so fast, uh, we're going to need to move fast, too. Uh, We have been speaking so far to climate scientist Peter Glick, once again, the co-founder of the Pacific Institute based out of Oakland. Peter Glick, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Also joined by Felicia Marcus, the former chair of California's State Water Resources Control Board. Felicia Marcus, thanks to you as well. Oh, thank you. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi, and today on the program, we're recapping this past week's special coverage of California's water crisis. We just heard from two leading water experts about what steps we could all be taking to confront the challenge. But after everything that's happened in recent years, what about those of us who are just feeling burned out? How do we keep fighting the good fight when the crises just don't stop? Our own Megan Goldsby went looking for answers to these questions. I spoke to her recently about what she found. Megan Goldsby, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Keith, thanks for having me. So I know that you've been out and about speaking with Bay Area residents to get a sense of what they're feeling now that we're in store for yet another drought year. How are people feeling? I mean, obviously, for a lot of people, this is a a very close memory. It hasn't been that long. Yeah, exactly. And we have a, a lot of anxiety already and a lot of people feeling overwhelmed because it's only been a few years since we were conserving water and it hasn't been much time at all since we were following all of those COVID restrictions and all of the wildfire restrictions that that we see each year. So these new warnings, I think people feel like it's just one thing after another hitting them. But you know, it's funny, everyone I talked to said that if new restrictions on water come down, they do plan on actually following them. Uh, You know, I talked to people who said that the pandemic made them feel like they really could make a change for the greater good by doing their own part. And and it was inspiring. Uh, So when drought restrictions, if they come down, they do plan on following them. But of course, we know that's not exactly the case with everyone. There are people out there in the Bay Area suffering from disaster fatigue. Oh, disaster fatigue. So uh, basically... They've just been through so much already. They've kind of hit their limit with what they can deal with at this point. Yeah, exactly. It's an actual diagnosis, too. And the symptoms include anxiety, depression. A very common one is exhaustion. Uh, To learn more about it, I talked to Dr. Beth Phoenix. She's a clinical professor at UCSF School of Nursing. She's studied disaster fatigue. And she said that people in the Bay Area definitely are suffering from it with the pandemic and all of the wildfires. She brought up the floods from a few years ago, which we can tend to to forget. Mm. Uh, And she says that it's a big problem because it could actually stop us from taking care of ourselves. willingness or inability to do things that would get them out of future dangers that they might be in. And Keith, that can be bad on a one-on-one basis, especially if you aren't taking care of yourself and you live in a wildfire zone, you need to have a go bag, you need to to clear brush from your house. But it can be really bad for the entire Bay Area as a whole when it comes to the drought. If enough of us don't follow water restrictions, we get into an even deeper hole. 
Yeah, and that burnout is uh, very real. Uh, are there any ways to fight that burnout to keep ourselves motivated, even you know, despite all of these many challenges? You know, I talked to a local hero in the water conservation world. Her name is Elizabeth Dougherty, and she's the director of Holy H2O. That's a water conservation education group. And I knew she was passionate about conserving water, but I didn't know how passionate she was until I met her. She has so much energy for conserving water. She's down to just 17 gallons a day per person in her Oakland home. So she's really all about this situation. But I asked, how do you translate that then? How do you you get someone who's so burned out to feel the same way you do? And she told me that she's found what works is a connection with something, something in nature. So maybe that's a tree outside your window, or maybe that's an animal that you always see. I know a lot of us have, have been meeting the animals in our backyard as we work from home in the pandemic. And she said, once you have that connection, then you want to do things to help out in nature and conserving water is a part of that. She told me an anecdote about a UC Berkeley student that she worked with on a summer program. And he's standing in front of it and he looks at me as I walk up and he says, this plant, it's so beautiful. And then he goes, oh, there's a bumblebee. The bumblebee's on the flower. And I thought, this guy will never be the same. He will never forget this moment. He will never forget this plant. He will never forget that a bumblebee landed on it. He is seeing something for the first time. And it can be that simple. You know, I asked Dr. Phoenix the same question. What are some things that we can be doing to deal with this burnout? She said that she believes that we there's a lot of medical things we can do. Make sure you get enough sleep. Make sure you're not getting too much news, too much screen time. Take it in. Listen to KCBS. But right before bed, maybe have some quiet time where you're not taking in all of these warnings and these situations just before you're going to sleep. But she said that another important element of this is spirituality. That's something that helps to put these kind of existential issues like disasters in context and also helps remind people that they have inner resources that they can draw on. I know that's certainly been the case for me. I've covered fires for years, but living uh, up in Sonoma over the past few years has been pretty challenging with all of the the wildfires and and the constant warnings, the power outages. I've had to definitely work on that myself, go into a place of, I can handle this. We can all handle this. We have each other. um, And really, we have ourselves to help us get through this. Yeah, it's about just finding those little things to keep us all going. Yeah, absolutely. Just kind of knowing that the problem's there uh, is enough to get us, you know, trying to work on it. If you just feel overwhelmed, exhausted, maybe you actually do have disaster fatigue. You have something you can put a name on, and now you can start to address that and work on it. All right. Uh, Food for thought for all of our weary, weary souls as we go through this one more time. Uh, That has been Megan Goldsby, a KCBS reporter. Thank you so much for your two cents. Thanks for having me. This has been KCBS In-Depth, recapping a week of special drought coverage. Keep it tuned to KCBS as we continue to follow this unfolding crisis in the months ahead. For now, though, signing off for KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week.
You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.